0: Good morning, this morning's scripture reading is Colossians 2, verses 16 to 23. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in a false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen, they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with the things that are, the, that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks
1: be to God. Well, um, we're getting close to one of my favorite times of the year, actually. Um, uh, Spring is awesome, uh, and summer is great. Uh, And in summer, what takes place in Frio at the Fremantle Arts Center, is uh, on Sunday afternoons at two o'clock, and this is a a non-paid advertisement, by the way, Uh, they have uh, music groups that come and sing, usually two, sometimes just one, at two o'clock, and it usually goes till about four, and um, they sing for free. And you get to come in and sit down and participate. And it is awesome to sit there in the beautiful grounds of the Fremantle Arts Center, and listen to sometimes music that you know, sometimes music that you don't know. But what I've discovered in that is there are people that engage in those times in multiple different ways. Um, So some folks go and they get there early because they want the best spot. And so they put out their blanket or their couple of chairs and maybe even a little table and they have their picnic and all these little fancy accoutrements that go with it. And they sit there and they pour their wine and they eat their cheese and they're very, very bougie. I I like it a lot uh, in that way. And so they do that and they enjoy the concert then and you'll see them and they're catching up with their friends that do the same thing. Then you have those who get there a little later uh, and they start kind of looking around for the people that they were supposed to meet uh, who probably got there earlier and and they kind of are bouncing around even as maybe the music is starting and then when they finally find them there's a little bit of a celebration and they all kind of gather around and then somebody gets pizza and somebody goes get the drinks and they kind of are just kind of a mess. And then usually there are those who I would say, I'm part of this group, that you get there and you lay down and then you promptly go to sleep. (laughs) You take your nap in the sun uh, and the music just sort of washes over you. And then there are also those who are there and they usually are up closer to the stage and they are dancing or what could be called dancing. Um, Some of them maybe not the best dancers, Uh, but they enjoy the music and they're uh, dancing around and really getting into it. Now, if you're sitting there and you're participating in this, we can fall into that place where you go, why would anybody get here late? Why wouldn't they get here on time so that they could actually, or early even, so they could get the best seat? And they're disturbing me. Or you might be like, why is nobody else up dancing? Come on, this is a concert and we should be enjoying this. Or you're like me, like, (laughs) so you really aren't really paying attention to what other people are doing and thinking, why wouldn't anybody, why is not everybody asleep right now? Like this is the perfect place to take a nap. Our, Our lives are somewhat like that, right? We, we tend to operate in that place where we will inevitably look at what others are doing in the way that they're doing it and think they're doing it wrong because <laughs> we're doing it right. And, and Paul is speaking into that as those of us who are in Christ living in community. He says, look, there are those that are around you who are judging you based on certain things. Now, he points out a couple of different ways. He, he, he says they're judging you by uh, what you eat or drink or whether or not you're following um, the, the festivals and Sabbath. Or they're judging you because you're not quite worshiping in the right way. You're not actually worshiping either worshiping angels or it also can be read worshiping with angels. So there's this sort of ecstatic worship that's taking place. In this, uh, in, in the church in Colossa and Laodicea and saying, look, there are people who are have these sort of rules that they've built and, and it's all built on how they're experiencing God, how they're experiencing worship. And so for us today, we kind of rest in that place as well. The, the church is really sort of split into two different, very distinct divisions There are churches that tend to operate in a very doctrinal sort of sense of what you know, and are you following the rules and regulations correctly? And then there are those churches who tend to operate in a more experiential sort of space, saying, have you really experienced the work of God in your life, and how is that manifesting itself and and showing And each of those different churches tend to have folks that look at the other churches and say, I don't think you're quite doing it right. Like if you actually did it like us, maybe you'd be closer to the truth. Or or if you did it like us, you definitely would be closer to the truth. And we we joke about it even. Um, uh, As many of you know, that part of our tribe that we're a part of is the Presbyterians or what some like to call the frozen chosen. Um, because you're just like, we've got the right doctrine and we're going to do it right. And then others will go to other sort of more dynamic, charismatic style churches and say, I don't even know. They just keep repeating the same words over and over again. And then somebody might say something that I don't even quite understand. And they put it in this language. I just don't fit in there. And that might be true, Right? Uh, God is gracious for us in that he allows us to step in our own particularness, in our own place of, of recognizing how he's built us and we can find places. But to sit back and go, no, no, in fact, I'm either building myself up because I know that I have it right, or I am belittling others because they have it wrong. Paul very clearly in this letter to Colossae and Laodicea is saying that's incorrect. That's incorrect. That that falls short of what you should be doing. In fact, he, he makes it so bold in to say that all of the things that you think are those regulations, all of those things that the, the Judaizers in this place are saying you need to do, they are shadows of what is to come, which is Jesus. And later he goes on to say, look, these folks who are having these experiential sort of things that they're they're saying everybody should be experiencing these things. They've cut themselves off from the spiritual head, which is Jesus. Then, in fact, they're living lives saying it is really Jesus plus this other thing that makes me acceptable to Jesus and to God. That if I don't have these other things, then somehow God does not see me as complete. And we then end up building our lives around those other things than Jesus, who is the main thing. The only thing. And if you have been paying attention through Colossians, the first chapter, and all the way till this point, over and over and over again, Paul is reminding us that Jesus is the all in all. That it is Christ alone because he is the one who shows us quite clearly who God is. The God who is merciful and magnificent. The God who is steadfast in his love and his pursuit. The God who is justice and mercy as only a holy God can be. And in that, he is the God who longs to bring us in so that we can know completely who we're supposed to be. And begin to recognize that all life, every bit of my life, All of my worship, everything that I want to be attached to is found clearly in Christ alone. And so he's saying to them, don't let people do this. Don't allow them to add things to Jesus. Because even though they have the appearance of wisdom, and even though they might be good to stop you from doing some things, They are not the thing that will transform you and change you and make you who you're supposed to be. At best, they are behavioral modification tools that give you an appearance of righteousness where your heart is desperately shrinking on the inside because it's so turned in on itself, believing that I've got to figure out the other thing. Now, why is that? Why why do we have a human proclivity to move in that direction? I think there's two reasons. One is either because we're scared of other people. There's fear that drives that. A fear that is like, well, I want to make sure that I'm accepted and loved by those people that I'm gathered with. And so I don't know that I want to do something outside of the norm. Like I feel like uh, um, everybody else is kind of reading this passage this way and so I must need to read it that way. Or everybody else does Sunday this way. Or this is what I know because it's what I grew up in. So it must be the right way to do it. And we're fearful of what others might say about us. Uh, The second reason why we do that is because we're arrogant. Because as good as it sounds, as amazing as it could possibly be, that it is only in Christ that we are saved and made whole. As as mind-blowingly unbelievable as it is that I cannot do anything to save myself or make me who I'm supposed to be, but Jesus has done it and he's done it already. There's still this part of me that wants to go, Can I get a little credit though? Can can I please just like a pat on the back? And we forfeit the embrace of the father for a pat on the back for some good thing we maybe have done. Now this is not unusual. So don't feel beat up. And if you do, let me apologize. That's not the point. This is something that's been going on since the beginning of time. One of your passages that I give you is from Isaiah to take a look at and read where, where um, the prophet is saying uh, to them. Let me find it here. In Isaiah 29, verses 13 and 16, these are the words of the Lord. He says, these people come near to me with their mouths and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on mere human rules they have been taught. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it? You did not make me. Our proclivity, our hearts are turned to a place of either fearing what other people think about us or wanting credit for what we're doing. And in doing that, then the best way to avoid either feeling like we've done something wrong or to get the credit we deserve is to build systems and rules and define things outside of how God has defined them. And so how has God defined worship? What does worship look like for us? This place where it is Christ alone. If you've been at church any, then you're familiar with the story of the Samaritan woman. This place where Jesus is out in Samaria and encounters a woman at a well and he's thirsty and he says, give me water. And they end up having this very deep theological conversation, partly because she's trying to avoid the things that she thinks Jesus might know and finds out that he does in fact know these things. And it turns to a place of talking about worship. Worship. And he says to her in John chapter 4, verse 21, Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain, meaning the mountain that they were on in Samaria, or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is coming through the Jews. He's identically, he's ironically saying me at that point. Yet a time is coming and has now come. When the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. You see, our lives are to be built so much upon the Trinitarian God that we begin to recognize that all that we do, all that we have, all that we think about, all of our being rests completely in our identity found in Christ, that everything else moves from that to be secondary and third and fourth and fifth. Not saying that those things that are second, third, fourth, and fifth are wrong or bad or encumber us in some ways. The problem is when we lift those secondary and third and fourth things up to being the ultimate thing in our life, that our identity rests on the way that we worship God instead of the God that we worship. That we then find ourselves catapulted back into that place where we are doing external actions and our heart is shriveling up. But because God calls us to worship in spirit and truth, we recognize in that place then that he is not only the object of that worship, but he is the source of which that worship springs from. And he is the stuff that makes that worship happen. You see, he says they must worship the father, God, the head of the Trinity, the one who leads forth and has ordained all things. That's the object of our worship. The source of our worship is within the truth. Knowing who Jesus is as he resides and shows forth completely who God is. And then the stuff that makes it happen is the Holy Spirit that is residing within us that we experientially can move into a place so that there doesn't have to be a division in our own hearts and minds between right doctrine and right experience. Because we are walking firmly in the path of Jesus, honoring the Father as we worship through him, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do those things. Now, if we stop and think about the Fremantle Art Center and the musicians that are playing there and the concerts that are going on, the people who are napping, the people who are arriving late and walking around, the people who are dancing, the people who got there early and had the picnic and are just sort of letting the music wash over them and enjoying it, maybe even having a little conversation. None of them are participating in that afternoon incorrectly. The only people who might be participating in the afternoon correct incorrectly are those who would dare to get on stage with the performers and try and take over the concerts. That'd be wrong. Paul reminds us here that when it is not Christ alone who is the object of our worship and life, we have climbed on stage and added something. But he empowers us through Holy Spirit to see God high and lifted up so that we can walk in community in Christ alone. Let me pray for us. God, you are mighty and merciful and true, and you are worthy of all our praise and honor. And so we give this to you today as broken as it is because you take our brokenness and you make it whole. And so it's in this that we say, if there are things that are not from you, let them burn up and go away. But if there's anything that had been said that is from you, Let it take root in our hearts and bear good fruit to you and bring you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. But stand and respond together.